Thank you, people. I think, please be seated. It's lovely. We haven't prayed for Sam just at the last moment. Really important. Thank you. Should we just gather around Sam, just team? Lay hands on this dear brother and uh, come on, Dan, you lead us. Um, thank you. Our Father, we just thank you for Sam's heart for you, Lord, and how we just, he put it so well that you are the centre of this church and um, he's humble and submits himself to you, Lord, and we just pray that they have a wonderful break, that they, they will be yes. recharged yes, and that um, your Holy Spirit will just flow yes. through that farm yes. and give them the peace and the joy and the refreshing that you bring. And uh, Lord, we just pray, uh, as he's already said, um, that you will just bless and grow this church. No matter what happens with leadership or people or individuals, Lord, that we will always be submitted to you and expectant that you will grow and um, fulfill every need. Yes, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. You know, church, how gifted, how blessed we are to have such a fine group of people. And that's not just being kind. They are beautiful people. And bless you. Thank you, Pastor Sam. I don't know. Maybe I can just preach off those notes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Church, for your prayers. Um, and uh, it is it is a joy to lead you and uh, to be to be called into this role um, and to see see the Lord use not only me but each other as we we serve one another and as we we grow as a church community. It's beautiful. Um, I just want to just pray before we get into the word. In fact, let's stand up because I feel like we've sort of been sitting through it. Let's stand up. Let's, uh, let's give this time to the Lord. Lord, we just, uh, as we come to this close in our series of the book of Acts, Lord, we just pray for your spirit to be present amongst us right now. Lord, open up our, our hearts, uh, open up our minds and our, our spiritual eyes to see what you're calling us to what you're saying to us through your beautiful word. And, uh, Lord, just uh, bless this time now, and may we just have a sense of, of joy and purpose in all that we do, flowing out of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> beautiful. Well, today is... Our last day in the book of Acts. <laughs> I'm going to cry. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's been a journey. In fact, uh, during the week I went onto our website to, to find out when we actually started this. Because when we started, I sort of said, oh, you know, we're not going to necessarily do every verse and every chapter, but it was just so good that we just kept flowing with it. And, you know, it was 15th of May last year that we started. So it's been pretty much a year uh, in, in the book of Acts. Yes, there's been other preachers and Mother's Days and other things as well, but how good to just soak ourselves in, in the Word of God and to, to see the narrative from start to finish uh, in all that Luke was trying to portray in the, in the spread of the gospel. And so, uh, yeah, it's an amazing fact that we've been a year. There's another amazing fact, a fun fact, I'm going to keep it secret till the end. So you're going to have to make sure you're aware at the end of this secret fun fact. Uh, so stay tuned. But uh, Luke really was, um, in his gospel writing, interested in how 
the gospel went from Galilee to Jerusalem and then Acts in a simple form is how the message of Jesus Christ got from Jerusalem to Rome. That was that's kind of the the, the flow. Uh, how 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 the gospel went from Jerusalem, what was the centre of of the Jewish world, uh, but now Jesus is the fulfilment of the Jewish hope, and how that message of Jesus went out uh, to all the world through Rome, and Paul desired to get to Rome. We see this in his writings to Romans before he got there, how he eagerly desired to get there. And all of the last couple of chapters have been his desire since Jesus came to him in prison in Jerusalem and said, as you've been my witness here, you're going to be my witness in Rome also. So he's thinking, oh, fantastic. Great things are going to happen. I can't wait to get there. But there's been all of these things along the way. But I can probably understand why Paul wanted to get to Rome. Finish this sentence for me. All roads lead to Rome. Right, and if, now if that's the case, then all roads lead out of Rome. Okay, uh, the, there was a time in, in history where the Romans had made very straight roads and they were policed, uh, so you could travel without fear of getting robbed. And so the spread of the gospel, there's something called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that came at just at the right time. So Jesus came at a time in history when it was able to spread like wildfire. If it happened before that, that this spread wouldn't have been able to happen so quickly because the Roman structures weren't in place. So Paul wanted to get to, to Rome because if, if at the epicenter of the civilization as we know it at that time came to Christ and, and had a, had a real ministry hub, then out of that place to the ends of the earth, the gospel could spread. So Paul's longing to get to Rome. And uh, last week, uh, well, it wasn't last week, it was a few weeks ago now, we were looking at the, the chapter before, quite a nautical chapter, where uh, Paul was set on a, on a boat um, and he, he ended up here in, in Fairhavens and really the, the people on the boat didn't want to winter there. When it's winter, you can't sail and they, they thought, you know what, there isn't much entertainment, there isn't much nightlife here in this small little town. Let's make it around the harbour to the next place if we're going to be there for three months because they do good schnitzels on, on Tuesday night, specials at the pub. Um, in fact, they, they probably wanted to get up to here because there was three pubs. Look, there's three, three pubs there. So they had... So they had schnitzel pizza and steak night um, as, as well. No, we're going we're gonna to hear about that in, in this chapter. But, but because of that desire to be, to be comfortable, they risked it and they found themselves uh, loose and out of control in a storm. And we, we ended up last week um, where they were surfing on boards and whatever they could get hold of on the waves into to safety, and we remember that that the Lord um, provided miraculously, and not one person of the two hundred and seventy six people on that boat suffered and so now we take it up in verse one of chapter twenty eight so once safely on on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Now I think that 's kind of funny because 
they didn't know where they were. They, they, were, they were going around the seas. They were blown this way and blown that way. They saw land. They didn't know where they were. And once they landed on it, they found out that they were on the island of Malta, a very small island uh, in the sea there. And as I was thinking about this, you know, a, a principle came to mind in that Paul desired to go to Rome where it was big, you know, strategic, uh, a lot of things could happen there. And yet God in his sovereignty uh, sent Paul to Malta, a small, tiny island. And I was just reminded that, you know, God is interested in the large, in the strategic, in the, the big moves and powerful stuff, but he's also interested in the little He's also interested in the seemingly out of the way or insignificant. And we should be reminded of that as we journey and as we go about in our lives that, yes, we can go after the big things of God, but he's also interested in the people that come your way, that come across your path, that you might think, oh, this is insignificant, oh, blah, 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 I'm just on my way there. But no, maybe God in his sovereignty has blown you <laughs> to, the, to the sphere of influence over, over the little. Because imagine if, if Paul said to his friends, you know, you know, I want to go to Rome. Yep, yep, I want to go to Malta. They might be going, oh, what? <laughs> but, but God is interested in both the big and the small. And so they find out they're on Malta, and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. Interesting. I wonder if that's God's favour on them again. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. So they've just got off this middle of winter. They're all soaking wet, and they're being looked after by the islanders by having a fire out there on the beach. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. Now, um, first of all, what was Paul doing gathering wood? I mean, we, we might look at this situation and go, he's just proved himself. He could be saying to the centurion, hey, I just saved your life. You go get the wood. Let, you know, um, I've just proved myself as, as this prophet, as this one who, who has the power of God working through him. And, you know, I've done my bit. I've saved you all. Now I'm just going to put my feet up and take it easy. But no, we see here the servanthood of a leader that Paul modelled what Jesus modelled in leadership that it is not about self, it is about the other person. Uh, Jesus, on the, the night that he was betrayed, he, he sat down and he washed his disciples' feet. And he said, you know, I have not, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Paul is outworking this. And what we might not um, consider or think about is, yeah, you know, I've, I've said all the way through this series, we, we read chapter after chapter thinking that it's just month after month of things. But 30 years has now passed since Paul had his conversion. So Paul is now in his old age. It is predicted that he'd maybe be even 60 years old. Now, 60 in these, this, that's, that's not old. Well, in this day, it's, in this day and age, it isn't. You're right. But in that time, you know, life expectancy was much, much smaller. So he's actually, uh, in, in a time of his life where he could be saying, Hey, I've got experience and I've got, got this. You come to me and I'll give you all the wisdom and stuff. But no, here's Paul picking up sticks. 
and serving and loving and supporting uh, those around him in ministry. And this viper comes out of the fire and a lot of people have taken hold of this verse and they, they try and see the significance of, you know, serpents and snakes in the Bible uh, is categorized by demonic things. So this is a great example of being able to just um, fight off the demonic and, and that sort of thing. But I don't think Luke is portraying that in this particular verse. In fact, he's very uh, serious about detail. And if you look at the detail, it says that it was because of the, the heat that the, the, the snake came out. So a snake's obviously hibernating in winter, gets carried in a pile of sticks and put on a fire and it's woken up and it lashes onto his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he has escaped the sea, the goddess Justice, so that was the, a daughter of Zeus, it was a, a, a god that they had, that they thought worked by bringing about justice uh, amongst um, their world, that was their worldview, has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. And the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now here's the fickleness of humanity. At once he's a murderer and the next moment he's a god. <laughs> of course he's neither of those things. And I can just imagine them, you know, they, they would have experienced, they, they knew it was a deadly snake because they, they saw what it was. And they saw what the effects would have normally been to someone who got bitten like that. So you can imagine them sort of, maybe he's sort of sitting there recovering and the islanders are kind of like watching him. It's like, has he puffed up yet? Is, you know, has he killed over yet? And they're expecting the result of him keeling over to die. And, and, but nothing happened to him. Now, it's really interesting that the natives' theology, their worldview, was very similar to things that we see today, is that lots of people in our world think along the lines of something called karma, that if you're a bad person or you do bad things, then bad things are going to happen to you, and if you do good things, then good things are going to happen to you. Now, I want to, I want to state very clearly that that is not true because there are lots of very, very bad people who get away with a lot. And a lot of very, very good people suffer greatly, particularly um, in the name of Jesus. And so, but they have this worldview, this, this idea of justice, that if, you, if you've done something wrong, then the world or a God or something is going to make up for that injustice and do something to you. And what's really interesting is that here's an opportunity for Paul to kind of challenge that, that world view, that, that thinking, but he doesn't. He just, just shakes off the snake. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about this. And, you know, in, in Romans 2, Paul talks about the fact that God's law is actually written on the hearts of every person. And so... so even though they got it wrong, they understood that, that there is right and wrong. 
And I think every single human being in the world is born into that, that got that stamped of God's image in their heart, God's law in their heart, as, God, as he says in Romans 2. And so even though they don't have the law, they're, they're, they're acting it out. And they, they have this knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, even though they haven't had the gospel preached to them. And that's a, a great realisation for us as we want to evangelise and, and share the gospel with others. People have a sense of right and wrong. But where does that come from? Where does that sense of morality come from? And here's Paul. You can imagine him going, oh, what now? You know, I've been beaten up, I've been driven out of towns, I've been persecuted, I've been lowered out of baskets to get away, I've been shipwrecked, I've been put in prison, I've been falsely accused, and now I've got bitten by a snake. Come on, Lord, what next? But what does he do? He just listens to the popular music and he says, I'm going to shake, shake, shake it off, shake, shake. Surely you knew that joke was coming when you read that. No, he just shakes it off. You know, Paul was, he wasn't a, his identity wasn't the sum of his circumstances. He, he didn't allow the lies about him to become who he was. He just shook it off. He could have gone, no, I'm not a murderer. No, and let me justify myself and let me argue against this. And no, I just shook it off. And he didn't let himself go, you know what, I'm a snake bite victim, that's who I am. (laughs) You know what, we can do that so often in our lives. We can let this self-pity, this sense of this person has said this about me, this person has lied and and said these untruths about me and we take them on and we, we, we put them into ourselves and it becomes who we are or circumstances happen to us and we go, well, that must be who I am. Now, you are a child of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are his workmanship. He loves you. He has called you his own. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He has seated you at the right hand of the Father. He has called you his own brothers and sisters and co-heirs in Christ. That is who you are. You are not a snakebite victim. You are not the, the some uh, culmination of people's lies about you. You are not the culmination of all these circumstances that have happened in your life. Sometimes we just need to shake it off. That's not who I am. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm just going to shake it off. Not let that become my identity. You are a child of God. So there on the island of Malta, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island, so some sort of Roman governor. And we know that he was quite wealthy because he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Now remember, this is a group of 276 people. (laughs) So he must have had a big house to show generous hospitality but this governor this uh, chief person on the island had a father 
who was sick and in bed and suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this happened, talk about modelling Jesus, the same thing happened for Jesus. Wherever he went and he performed miracles, people flocked. And we see this again. When this happened, the sick on the island came and were cured, and they honoured us in many ways. And when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So there's this man who has a father who is sick uh, in bed. And I think sometimes we can just look over the circumstance of what is actually going on here. I'm going to apologise in advance but I'm going to read you Webster's uh, definition of what dysentery is. Historically known as the bloody flux, it's a disease attended with inflammation and ulceration of the colon and rectum and characterised by griping pains, constant desire to evacuate the bowels and a discharge of mucus and blood. Dysentery was usually accompanied by high fevers, which is what we saw here, and it occurs academically and is communicable through the medium of intestinal discharges. Now, in a word, that's gross. But I did that on purpose, and sorry if you're listening to this as a podcast later on and you're having lunch. Um, But I did that on purpose because that would have been a messy situation. That would have been something that not many people would want to go into. In fact, if I was Paul, I'd probably be saying to Jesus, hey, can we do one of those miracles like the the centurion that came to me with a servant? And he said, you don't have to come, just say the word and you'll be healed. Can we do one of those ones, please? I'll just stay outside the house and I'll just say the word and he'll be healed. But no, once again, Paul here is, there's just so much of the way he, he mirrors Jesus' own ministry. And he comes into the mess. He comes into that place and he actually lays hands on that. And and he gives dignity to a human being in the midst of that ministry. And we saw Jesus do this as he he touched lepers and and he went to the ones that seemed untouchable and every human being longs for touch and longs for connection. And Paul brings that to this man. What a beautiful picture and what a great reminder for us as we live out our life of faith and ministry that we shouldn't see people as untouchable or they're too hard or that's just going to be messy. It's going to be messy when we live out this life of faith, when we we minister to people that maybe are a bit crazy or hard, but that's the whole point. And that's what Paul is mirroring here, that Jesus came into this world to connect with our humanity. The whole story of the point of Christmas and the nativity scene isn't that it's all beautiful and and pretty. It's that Jesus, the King of Kings, left his glory and came into our mess. He came into a place where there was animals, manure, urine, smells, and put in a feed trough where there was leftover licks into our mess. He came and connected with our humanity, with our mess. And 
we, if we're honest, we're all a bit messed up and so thankful that Jesus came into our lives to touch us. But now we, in turn, through Jesus, touch others in their mess and in their world. And so after three months, they were put out to sea. So they'd, they'd wintered there on the island and they, were, they went out on an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods Castor and, and Pollock. So again, um, twins of, of um, a god. And what's, what's really striking for me is that it's the, same, it's the same sort of ship that they were just shipwrecked in. <laughs> Number one and number two, it had, Paul, uh, Luke makes it clear that there were these idols on the front of the ship, and yet Paul doesn't sort of go, "Oh, I can't go on that ship. I can't go into that place because it's got idols on it." He sees that there's no power in in that, and he's not is not fearful of the same circumstance having happening again, but he's going on in confidence in the same sort of ship, and then. Um, they sail, they sail, blah, 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 blah. And then verse 14, and so we came to Rome. Now I can imagine for Paul this was a, ah, I'm here. Finally, this is this thing I've been longing for on this trip. I've come to Rome. And as he does, wherever he goes, he finds brothers and sisters in Christ. If you look at each and every missionary journey, wherever he lands on an island, he finds the believers and he has fellowship with them. And the brothers and sisters there heard that we were coming. They travelled as far uh, and from the three pubs to meet us. <laughs> at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So Paul's now in Rome he spends two years here in house arrest. And you can imagine Paul thinking, well, I've got to Rome and, and the Lord wants me to be a witness here, but how's that going to work? In all of the other places I was able to travel, I was able to like go to synagogues, I was able to, to debate, I was being in the public space, but now I'm in this house and I've got this soldier who's chained to me. How on earth are we going to now spread the gospel? Now, his mode of ministry changes where rather than going out, people come to him. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, and he writes letters. In fact, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon were all written here while, while Paul was in house arrest. And he says this amazing thing in, um, oh, I don't have it here, um, in Colossians, where he says, and pray for us that, in Colossians 4, that the, the gospel, the doors will be open to the gospel because he's sitting there under house arrest. How can, how can the doors be opened to the gospel as we're here? And we find that by um, <coughs> people coming to him. And so for three days he called together the local leaders and they had assembled and then he talks and he gives his defence again. Because now he's with, the again, the Jewish leaders here and he's, he's starting to give his defence. And then at the very end, he says this very interesting phrase, verse 20, for this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound to this chain. He is 
under arrest. He is in the situation he is because of the hope of Israel. Now, what is the hope of Israel? Right throughout the Old Testament, from Abraham, the the nations will be blessed through him. Throughout all of their history, they knew that there was a coming day when the Messiah would come, would come through the nation of Israel that would be the hope of not only Israel but the hope of the world. And so Paul is saying, wake up, we found him. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the hope. He is the reason. He is the message. He is the one who has come and fulfilled that hope, who has made a way for us to be in right relationship with our Heavenly Father through the cross and his resurrection. He is the hope of Israel. So, And it's because of him, the hope of Israel, who you know about, that I'm in chains. And, you know, you just, <laughs> you read the prophets, you read the Old Testament, you read the story, and you can't help but just see Jesus on every page when you actually understand the gospel and the message. And, of course, this was Luke's whole point of writing this book. It is about the message of Jesus going forth. The hope of Israel has been found. He is being, the message of Jesus is going out. You know, as I was researching for this morning, you know, I often read, read commentaries and, and things, and I came across this amazing story of a rabbi uh, in uh, Jerusalem in 2008. Uh, his name was, um, I've got, oh, here we go, Kaduri Yat. Yitzhak, I don't know if I got that right, <laughs> but he lived to be 108 years old and he was a much-loved rabbi uh, in the Jewish community. And it has been said that he said to his students, his followers, that I have found the hope of Israel, that he, I have met with him and I know who he is. And so you can imagine, you know, this isn't the Christian people. These, these are the people still looking for a Messiah. They're, they're still hoping that he's going to come. And we know that he has come. And he said to his followers, you know what, I'm going to write down on a piece of paper who it is. And I'm going to keep it in a sealed envelope. And then when I pass away, you can open that up and you can find out who the Messiah is. And such was this amazing rabbi and so loved in his community that when he passed away, 250,000 people turned up to his funeral. It's one of the biggest funerals in Jewish history. And here's the note. Now, I can't read his writing. I don't even know if I got it the right way around. (laughs) might be that way around. But it says, Yeshua, Jesus is the Messiah. Now, a lot of people have said this is a forgery and it's just Messianic Jews trying to make something happen. But other people who are his followers say are adamant that this was true. So whether it is or not isn't the point. The point is it could be possible that this amazing rabbi met Jesus and understood that he is the Messiah. He is the hope of Israel. And we now carry that same message to the world 
Our hope isn't in our achievements. It isn't in our humanity to build structures and, and, and cure this and, and that. Our hope and the only one who can ever save us is Jesus. And that's our message. Our message isn't about the church. It's not about us. It's not about people. It's about Jesus, what he came to do and accomplish on the cross. So I'm just going to skip over his interaction with the, Jew, the Jews there. Similar thing that we, we see happening in all of the places. Some believed and some didn't. And Paul quotes Isaiah 6, 9 to 10 uh, to those who wouldn't believe. And this is one of the most quoted books of Isaiah in the New Testament. Each gospel writer quotes this um, saying in a different context. But it's all under the same reason for, guys, he's right in front of you. Even though he's there, you can't see it. Uh, Let's read it. (laughs) Go to the people and say, you will ever be hearing and never understanding. You will be seeing and never perceiving. For the people's heart have become callous. They hardly hear with their eyes and they have their eyes closed. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and would turn and I would heal them. It's a great saying that Isaiah said, that the Lord said through Isaiah, but, and, we, and we can see it and we can, we can maybe put down people who, who don't really understand or, or the Jews or, or whatever and say, yeah, here's, here's a verse for you. But this is a verse for us. Because the Lord wants to heal our hearts. The Lord wants to do a thing amongst us. And he wants us to see and to hear and to know what he is doing and how he's working amongst us. And so Paul then says, therefore, I want them to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. Oh, that would have done them over again. But I think I think it's really interesting. This is one of the last kind of quotes sayings of the book of Acts and it's, it's like Luke's kind of sort of putting it out there for not only for the situation but to every single person who's reading that that we should we should um, be ever hearing and ever seeing so that the Lord would heal us and then for two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's it. It ends there. And you might think, hang on a minute. <laughs> it's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? Like we're, we're waiting for Paul to get to Rome and like there's a shipwrecks and like he needs to get there and he gets there. Yeah, and then he just sort of, yeah, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. All right, you can all go home now. It's like, it, if, does, does that feel unfinished to you? Does it feel like, where's the rest of the story? Luke, did you run out of parchment or, or, or what, what's, ha- what's happening right now? And this is a great example that, Paul, that Luke is not writing about Paul. His whole purpose for writing is not about Paul. It's not about Stephen. It's not about John. It's not about Peter. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going, coming right back to the, one of the very first things I said about the book of Acts is we say it's the Acts of the Apostles. 
Now that's the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the church. That's what this whole thing was about. And what I said at the very start is that this book doesn't finish because we're still in the book of Acts. It ends like that on purpose because the Holy Spirit is still working and we are still witnesses, as Jesus said. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we are now still part of that mission that the Spirit empowers us to be his witnesses in Blackwood, in Belair, in Happy Valley, in Brighton, in Prospect Hill, wherever we are. And here's that fun fact that I said you had to wait. Do you know what today is on the church calendar? Today is Pentecost Sunday. How amazing are you, Lord, that you (laughs) worked it out that the last day that we did Acts and as we finished this book of Acts and as we talk about the fact that it's an unfinished book, today is a day that we celebrate the Spirit's coming on the church to empower them for ministry, to empower them to be witnesses. And so that's our charge this morning, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The Acts is a message of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and you and I are part of that. And so for the last time, no, it's not the last time, because in a couple of weeks' time we're going to have a panel to um, share on what people have got out of the book of Acts. And uh, in a couple of weeks' time, you might yourselves be thinking, hey, there's a certain thing that touched me, a certain story, a certain chapter, a certain insight, a certain morning where God made himself known to me through the word. And you might want to come prepared to share with the church for that. But all through, we've been asking these questions and uh, Soren is going to be asking these questions of a panel that are up here in a few weeks' time. As you place yourself in the narrative of Acts, what are you surprised by or what challenges your own thinking? Are you motivated through seeing people like Paul and Peter and others sharing their faith and the miraculous happening? That that. The miraculous was was with the word. Does that challenge you today? Does it make you seek after it? Maybe you're challenged by the theology that um, was was preached by the early church. That it isn't about you, it is about Jesus. Maybe, Maybe you're challenged by being filled with the Spirit and you've never had that experience. But it's there in Acts, it's there in Scripture that this is the reality for the church and what the gift that God has for each and every one of us is to be filled with his spirit. There might be a lot of things throughout this whole time that you've gone, ooh, I didn't think about that, or ooh, Lord, are you speaking to me about that? Or, ooh, is this thing in my life that I've thought as being right that maybe isn't right? And as we learn about the distinctives and the priorities of the early church, what can we discover or apply to our church context? Now, what I said to the Insights team at our last meeting was, I believe that we're called to be community. You know, we see this throughout the book of Acts, that they gathered together. 
that they met in each other's home, that they shared possessions. Wherever Paul got to an island, he sought out the believers, that they had fellowship, that they prayed for each other. They experienced community. It's God calling us closer to each other, to know each other more deeply, to serve one another more fervently. And I think probably the most important, as you read through the story of Acts, what is Jesus personally saying to you? As this book is unfinished, is he calling you into ministry? Is he calling you to a place like Malta <laughs> that might seem insignificant to others, but God's calling you to that purpose? Is Jesus calling you just to come to faith, just to believe in him? I, I loved what Skylar said in her, her um, testimony that she just gave up. Is Jesus calling you to give up and just open up your heart to Jesus? Allow him to come in and transform your life? Is that what he's saying to you? Or is he saying a number of other things? I want to invite, invite the band up. We're going to sing a song that I love. <laughs> And it's pretty amazing. I said to Nadine how we're going to end this morning and she just chose this song. And in it, it talks about the spirit coming like a rushing wind. Today's Pentecost. And I just love the way all those things happen. They just tie together, don't they? The Lord works with his people. But this song says there must be more than this. And I just want to, my heart, church, is there's got to be more than just coming and going, coming and going. There's got to be more. The things that we saw in the book of Acts, the work of God, the Spirit's empowering is for us today. It's His call for the Hills Christian Family Centre to live out like the early church did, to gather, to grow to experience, to be filled, to love, to serve, to minister, to speak over each other's lives, for God to, through His Spirit, give prophetic words to one another, that we would grow, be built up and strengthened to live out the life of faith in the world that we're called to live out in. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, thank you for Luke. We thank you for the way he wrote this book that described the early church, that described what you were doing as the message of Jesus went forth and just a wildfire that spread and was uncontrollable. It couldn't be stopped. Lord, sometimes it feels like we put a stop to the wildfire that you're wanting to happen amongst us. And so, Lord, for that we say sorry, but we come this morning and say, Lord, blow your fan into flame, fan into flame a passion for your name that would go away changed this morning, that the Spirit again would be poured out just like on the early church this morning as we sing this song. 
as we open up our hearts to you and say, Lord, use me. Lord, challenge me. Lord, I don't want to be spoken of like Isaiah 6, 9 to 10, that I've got a calloused heart, but that you'd come and heal me in order that I'd understand the, the revelation of Christ and be transformed by that and go out in hope and in joy and in peace with the message that you've given to be witnesses to your truth, to your love, to Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray for every single person here and everyone listening online, that as we sing this, that you'd speak, that your spirit would be tangible, touching, speaking to us, making yourself known. Empower us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. people who depend on you and are led by you in all that you have for us, Jesus. All right. In the, uh, in this, in the uh, spirit of finishing out Acts uh, after about a year almost, um, I thought I'd actually close with a benediction from Acts. I've adapted it a little bit, but we'll go with it. Uh, Wherever we are, we're in God. Wherever we are, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Wherever we are, the Spirit is within us and with us. And that comes from Acts 17, uh, verse 27 and 28 where it says yet he is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being so I'm going to close out the service there thank you very much for joining us today Um, if you'd like to spend some more time in prayer or if you've got a 
things you want to chat to people about, by all means, hang around. There is time. There is prayer room. There will be people in the prayer room as well, which is just at the back. Go into your weeks in peace. And I hope you have a great week, everyone. Thank you.